So welcome back, everybody. I'm going to stop sharing and turn it back over to um, Julia to um, start her negotiation presentation. So welcome back from our break. Thank you. Oh, I'm going backwards through the slides here. Before I start, I want to do two things. One, I want to acknowledge that this is a difficult time and I want to express my profound gratitude that you are still working in these difficult circumstances. Our educational systems are one of the systems in this country that we depend on. And of course, I wouldn't have spent 30 years with LEARN if I wasn't a big fan of our educational systems. So that we are still at work and working in this time is not surprising to me. And it's a great testament to the spirit of the people who work in the field. So thank you so much on behalf of the individuals, families, and communities that you're helping. I want to tell you also a little anecdotal story and I'm going to mention the monastery one more time and then I'll stop talking about it. But the main abbot of the monastery is a retired physician. And when COVID hit, he said, now no one will be able to come here in a few weeks. I feel certain of this because he had, was familiar with the trends of pandemics. And so he said, I'm going to invest in some streaming equipment and we will stream our training. So a big piece of our training is meditation, which means you sit there and you do nothing. And then you sing something and then you do nothing for another hour. And I thought, who will show up for that streamed? Nobody. And so I thought it was a little crazy, but somebody sent me a donation of $3,000 and said, please set up and continue your meditation teaching online. And so I invested in the system too. And for the first thing that we did was a workshop. And normally this workshop, it was on something called the inner critic, which is that voice that we all have that says, uh, we're not good enough, or we're not doing as good as we should be, or we're dumb or whatever. So generally we get about 30 people for that workshop, 60 people signed on. So with the 20 residents here, 25, we had 85 people in that workshop and many of them paid more than the fee that we charge. So we said the fee for the course was I think $125 before COVID, but we'll offer it on a sliding scale from 10 to whatever you feel like paying. We cleared $6,000 on a workshop that normally would clear maybe 3,000 and had almost no expenses. So I didn't know, I thought, well, maybe people are just feeling generous. Um, Maybe they're tired of being sheltered in place. They want a break to do something different. So this weekend, we're having a meditation retreat. Literally, people are sitting in the sanctuary down the hall, still as a stone, doing nothing. And 85 people signed up to participate in that. We have people from four countries and people from all over the United States. How they found the monastery, I don't really know. We'll discover that later. We'll try to find that out. But all of those people also paid more than $200 to sit for two days to watch us sit still as a stone. Now, there is instruction, but I just think if that's true for this kind of learning, imagine what it can be like for the other kinds of things like soft skill learning and that sort of thing. So I really hope that you're... Um, you and all of us are reaching out to people who still need to learn during this uh, very tricky time. 
All right, let's talk about negotiation. <laughs> I got to talk about why they fail, what we can do to cause them to fail. So these are 10 reasons. These are classic. I did not write this list. This is from uh, Roger Fisher and William Urey, who wrote the book, Getting to Yes, which after almost 40 years of teaching negotiation is still my favorite book. It's very small. It's from the Harvard Negotiation Project. You can read it overnight, but it is still hands down the best book. Margaret, they are saying they can't see the slides. Can you... I cannot see them either. I believe okay. I stopped sharing. So you might have to drag your cursor down to the bottom of your screen where your toolbar shows up. Yeah. And see where it says share the big green. Yep. I'm going to try that. Let's see what we got yeah. here. Hit that share and then you'll tap. There you go. Now you're sharing. There you go. Got them. Great. Can Thank you see them? So much. You can see it now. Great. Thank yeah. you to whoever wrote that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So here are the reasons negotiations fail, number one, and this is number one. So the rest of the list is not in order, but I know from experience, this is the reason people fail, including me. We don't prepare. So we might do the most important negotiation of our life and we don't prepare. I don't know what that is. I've read and read and read and I've talked and talked and talked to people trying to figure out why is that? We just walk into a negotiation, even an important one like buying a house, and we're unprepared. So this one, you know, if you've ever been uh, engaged in a sales position, and some of you have in our industry, you're negotiating with the wrong person. And we know all of the reasons that that might be true, including the fact that the person that you need to be talking to, the decision maker, has some sort of a barrier person in front uh, between you, ostensibly to save their time. Another one is that you lock into a position. Now, a position is the bottom line that you hold. So if, if you're going in for a salary negotiation and you want a 20% raise, you're whoever had a 20% raise, but let's say that. <laughs> your position is, I would like a 20% raise. Next one is you're not clear on your limits and goals. What are you trying to accomplish in this negotiation? And what might you have to give away and what's the least you'll accept? We just don't get those things clear. And therefore, we run into the next problem, which is that you wander away from your limits and goals. The next one I think is kind of interesting, and you wouldn't think that it's so, but it's true. And that's that you don't factor in the needs of the other side. We are a competitive culture. And those of us who are empowered and privileged people walk into a negotiation feeling like, I'm going to get my needs met if we're clear on what those needs are. Even if we're not clear, we walk in thinking that. But we have to remember that we're negotiating with other empowered people and they also want to get their needs met. And so we have to, in the preparation process, ask ourselves the question, how is it that I consider the needs of those other people? Another thing, and I think this applies in many aspects of problem solving and life in general. This is a kind of an interesting principle to think about where you do this in your life. And that is that we think there is only one right solution. The way this manifests in negotiation is that I get what I think will be a good workable solution between me and the other party. And I really don't come to the table with the other party focused on Maybe that was a good solution, but maybe it's not the only solution. So, so many times in problem solving, we think there's a right 
solution. And so many times facilitating for learn clients problem solving sessions, I would see the group get stuck on the right answer. And at some point I wanna say, you're gonna get it 80% figured out. And then 20% you can't figure it out. So what you do is you go with the best answer among the choices that you have, understanding that actually there's no such thing as a right answer, just like there's no Prince Charming or Princess Charming that's the perfect mate for you. So you're going to bring some discernment to the process of marriage and negotiation too. And then you're gonna to have to work on the thing, both of them. The next uh, couple are about our lack of self-confidence and it has to do with that thing I was calling the inner critic. We feel powerless without a cause and this may be based on experience or not, it may just be a fantasy that we have, or we worry, and this one seems actually to affect women a little bit more than men in this culture, in the dominant culture. We worry needlessly about losing control. Oh, what if I cry? What if my voice gets shaky? What if I turn red from here to here? That kind of thing. And then anytime we focus only on one side and not the other. So a person who would give away a lot might be focusing not on their own needs and the needs of their constituents, but on the other side's needs more than their own. Anytime it's out of balance like that, we would say it's not a good negotiation that's happening right then. All right, the number one key to winning is planning. The number one key to winning is planning. That's the room I'm sitting in, by the way, and that's the guy who set up my computer system for me. All right, four personal styles in negotiation, and these are derived from research in conflict resolution. So they apply really to conflict and negotiation, and the reason they apply is because negotiation is often a process of power and conflict. These personal styles, which are classic and there are other models beyond this four, but this is my, my favorite, uh, are styles of dealing with stress, dealing with conflict that primarily are, um, originate with us in our family of origin. So you think about when your family had discord, which of these styles did you revert to? So personal styles then, artifacts of family origin, but they're also artifacts, and we'll go over these styles in just a second, of experience, um, education, and culture. They are culturally variable. What's good to know about the styles is if you are born competitive, not really born, but if you grow up in a competitive family, and so your go-to skill is competition, that's okay, that's good. And none of those skills is necessarily better than the other, but we can through training and practice and awareness change those skills. The ideal in negotiation is to have all four skills so that any given moment you can revert to the skill that's appropriate for the situation. So I usually say the one that you have that's your dominant skill, you can relax on that one a little bit and then build up the other skills. Hmm. I said we were going to cover that and then I didn't put a slide in there for that. So let me go back. The first one is avoidant. This is not um, an accommodating skill. This is the skill where you avoid negotiating altogether, just in the same way that some people avoid conflict altogether. If I don't talk about it, it will go away. So that's one. That's a very kind of low power skill, except 
if you're in a relationship where there's an enormous power imbalance, or if, for example, you're in the workplace and your job might be at risk and you want to keep it, avoiding is probably a great skill. Accommodating is the style where we are conflict avoid and therefore in a negotiation, we tend to give away the store. We tend to give away everything we want. The minute somebody puts pressure on us, we give up. Uh, you can see this most colorfully, I think, on a car sales lot. You go in, you did your homework, you think you know what you want, and the salesman uses one of the things that I call dirty tactics, like, gee, you've taken up so much of my time. You know, I have a family to feed too. I really hope we can get to a deal. And so you just buy the car at, for a price that you weren't intending and you didn't get any of the perks you hope you'd get. So that's accommodating. Collaborative says, you and I are gonna sit down at a table, and I think we actually do this quite a bit in, in contract education. You and I will sit down at the table. We are both intelligent people. We both actually are sharing this uh, problem or this opportunity. So what we're going to do is put it on the table between us, and then I'm going to walk away with some things from my side, and you're going to walk away with some things that are good for you. So we're, both of us are putting our intelligence, our experience, our resources, and our network and our needs kind of openly and honestly on the table. This is a high-level skill. It's a great skill to have, and most people need training to make it happen. And then the next one is competitive, and I think this one, you know what that is, so I won't spend a lot of time explaining it. But I, what I do want to say about it is when you compete in a negotiation, and especially if you do it at the expense of the other side, remember, no matter how big the town is that you live in, you will probably have to do business with this person or a friend of a friend of theirs again in this life, and you will pay the price for having competed ruthlessly. And that might be okay if it's, if it's a car salesman uh, and you don't care about being ruthless because what you want to do is get the car and you don't intend to go back to the lot. Maybe that's no problem. Okay, we went over that slide. Now we'll go to this one. How do you plan? So I've tried to say in a fairly strong way that planning is essential in negotiation. So it's only fair then that I tell you how I think you should plan. The first thing that you do is you do a stakeholder analysis. And this is a fairly simple concept, except for one little piece, which I'll tell you about. Stakeholders are all the people who care about the outcomes and all the people who are affected by the outcomes. So it is the stakeholder is the stakeholder and then all the constituents they serve. And then also you should look for hidden stakeholders. So sometimes in the middle of a negotiation, I'm sitting across the table from a person or two or three people, and I think this should be going flawlessly because we all kind of want the same thing. And we're talking and we're being respectful and it's going back and forth and we're trying to collaborate, but there's some kind of a hitch going on here. And what that often is, is a hidden stakeholder. So if the relationship among the people at the table is good, I will say, you know, I feel like there's a voice or an influence here in this deal that's being expressed, but not in a way that I can see who it is. And so I want to ask you 
what is that? What is that influence? What is that voice that's not at the table? Because I want to include that voice in my considerations. Uh, and sometimes that will bring the voice up and onto the table. Not always, but sometimes. So what are your positions and interests we want to talk about? So the stakeholders are the people who care and the people who are affected by the outcome. Now the positions is the bottom line idea that you walk in with. I really have to get this or I have to get this for my people. In contract education, when we go into and in uh, a client's office and we're negotiating the price of a contract. If you have studied with Learn It All, you have a certain margin that you're trying to meet and you're trying to make those numbers. And so that's kind of the position. That's our bottom line. And there are interests, there are reasons that the, we want that. The primary reason that I tell the clients that I'm trying to make that margin, and this is true, this is not just a story, is that I'm looking for a sustainable level of profitability. So I don't wanna just make as, money, as much money as possible. Some jobs I do because they're well-funded and it's easy to get the money. And I don't feel bad about taking the money when that's there because it allows me to support other clients and other opportunities where there's not as much margin. But my interest, my bottom line interest in contract training was always to be available to my client base, to the individuals, to the companies, to the communities for a long period of time, as long as possible to be around to help them. And so if I underprice my contracts, that can't happen. And so communicating that to a client's really important. So your position is what you want and your interests are why you want what you want. So one of the, um, early lessons that I learned in this, for example, was when I went to work for the University of Oregon as Assistant uh, Director of Continuing Education, responsible for contract training in 1982. And they were offering a salary and I wanted much more than that. Now, so my bottom line was the number for the salary, but the reason, the interest, the reason that I wanted that was because I wanted a master's degree. So when I came in, they said, uh, we can't give you the salary that you're negotiating for because we have steps and levels and there's precedent around that. But if you're going to buy a master's degree with that money, we can give you the master's degree for free. In fact, we can give it to you from this entire list of institutions. We'll pay for the whole thing. And if you perform in this way in the program, we would consider funding your PhD. So that's the difference between a position and an interest. A position is your bottom line. The interest is what you want and why it's important to you. And there are always different kinds of interests. There are business interests and there are personal interests. And since we're always negotiating with people, it's good if we know the business interest, but it's good if we also talk and listen and try to develop enough relationship that we can learn what the pin personal interests are. So the, the principle at work here in the negotiation is, if I can't satisfy your position, can I satisfy some of your interests and can I satisfy as many as possible? So for example, if I, oh, I told you that story, so I won't go through it on the slide. So once we have talked about to the right people, to the real stakeholders, we've talked about 
what it is that we want and why it's important to us. And we've shared that and we've asked some questions and we're clear on it. Now we're going to be clear in the, and this is now back in the preparation phase on what it is that we want, why we want it. And this would include asking ourselves questions before we get to the negotiation. So I'm talking about preparation here. What are you trying to accomplish? What do I need? What's motivating me? And I'm going to look at my bottom lines, my limits. What things can I give away? What things can I give away that are easy, almost free, or maybe even free to give away? And what things would cost me, but I might give it away if something was offered back to me. So we're getting that mountain of information together. And then when we have that, we're going to create an options package for ourselves. What it is that I want, what are the things I can give away, what are the things I must not give away that belong to me or my constituents. And then we're going to think a little bit before we get to the table about the other side. So you've worked with your clients a lot. You probably know something about what they want and need, what they're going to say. They're going to complain about the price. We all know that. What are the terms and conditions that they want? And so we're going to put all of that stuff together. And then we're going to go into the negotiation. Now we have that approach. Uh, that we could say, all right, this is the challenge. This is the thing we're trying to solve with training or consulting or one of our other services. These are the opportunities that we're trying to realize. And these are kind of the boundaries of the resources that we have. I like the method of negotiating that gets as much of that clearly, openly, honestly on the table as possible. But I also have been negotiating for a long time. I'm 66 years old. I know that not everyone is open and honest or can be. And so we give away what we can give away, what that particular negotiation allows us to talk about and reveal. And what we can't, we hold those cards close to our chest like we've always done. It's really, really important if you want to succeed in negotiation to know what it is you're trying to accomplish. Otherwise, you and that other creative, intelligent, competitive person will sit down and solve a problem and you'll be creating a solution for some other problem that isn't the one that you actually need to solve. So be sure that you clarify in the beginning. And I usually say it like this, when you and I leave the table today, what is it that we want to have accomplished? What is it that will be done? And as they talk about it, I'm going to make a list. I'm going to keep that paper up on the table and I'm going to make sure that that's what it is that we do. One of the things that causes negotiations not necessarily to fail, you're going to hear a bell. So this is telling people it's time for service. So ignore that bell. <laughs> um, one of the things that happens is that people have what I call the fixed pie mentality. And so this is maybe one of my favorite things about negotiation. You're sitting down at the table with somebody who's experienced, perhaps educated, perhaps creative. And there's a tendency, I don't know what it is in negotiation, to visualize the outcome like a pie. And we're going to divide that thing up and I'm going to get as many pieces as I can. And I'm going to give you some. I know I'm going to have to give you some, but I'm going to give you as few as I can and that we'll both walk out of here and you'll feel okay about the amount of pie you have. But I want to say that's okay. 
if that's all you can afford to do or that's all the time you have or all the creativity you have, that's okay. But better than that is to think long-term. Who do I want to be with this client? What kind of relationship and interaction? What kind of business do I want to do? And I want to get creative and expand the pie. So I can say, I know we came to do this thing today and solve this thing, but I also have these other ideas. And even sometimes if I can give someone something extra, then I'll suggest, I know you only ask for this, but actually it would be very easy for me to give you this. And I'm hoping that that will help you um, feel good about our work together so that we can do something different. We don't wanna leave gold on the table. That's the principle. If there's business there that can be done, if there's something else you could get, get it. I just uh, negotiated a new um, sports utility vehicle, SUV, for myself because here at the monastery where I live, I live up on the world's most dangerous road driving up to the little house in the woods and it's terribly muddy. And I had a regular four-door sedan and I thought this is not really safe. And so I bought this car and then I was in there and I was in there kind of late at night and I said, you know, every dollar I spend on this car is something, is a dollar that I can't spend on projects and programs that are important to me. And so I want to ask you, the only thing that I think I'll need to buy for this car uh, is, is floor mats and mud mats. And I'm wondering if you would give me those. And they, they didn't even hesitate one second. So it was $100 or whatever it was for all those mats and mud flaps, but um, I got them and it was easy and it was a great deal. Actually, there's a long story. It was one of the most fun negotiations I've ever done. It was so much fun. I went back the next day with donuts for everybody in the sales room. So one of the ways, now that you have this options package built, and I would never agree on pieces of the options package. I would say, yeah, that looks good. Let's add it into the options package. But I would never say, yes, I don't like that tactic. Car salesmen do this sometimes. If I can get you this, will you buy this car? I would say, I don't know. When the deal is whole, I'll tell you whether or not I'll buy the car. So don't fall into that package. So let's see. Yeah, just keep asking whatever you can ask for and just keep giving away whatever's easy to give away. Now, this piece of advice is really important. So many times at LEARN conferences, people would come to me and they would say, I took your negotiation class. We had a great deal going. The relationship was really, I thought, rich. We were coming up, you know, um, expanding the pie, doing all those things. Then we made an agreement and then we got mad at each other. So they got all the way to the contract stage and they got mad at each other. And they would say, what happened? And I would say, tell me this story. And five or six times I saw this and then I added this kind of a slide to every negotiation presentation that I did since then. And that is when you get to the point of creating a contract or a letter of agreement, don't go to sleep because you have a good relationship and because the whole deal has been going well. Don't go to sleep. Really pay attention to the last 10% of the deal. What happens is I feel good about you, you feel good about me, we throw together an agreement of some kind, not really paying attention that it be simple, that it be precise, that it be explicit. 
And so when we start to implement, I think that X meant we do this, and you think that X meant we do that. And so you do your thing, I do my thing, and we went in opposite directions. And all of a sudden I feel like, gosh, I thought I could trust her. And now I see that I can't. And it kind of ruins all of that relationship building that we did. So often you can dig out of this thing, but it's a lot of work and it is a bruise on the relationship. So I just say, spend more time on the agreement and make sure it's simple, precise, and explicit. Okay, what's the real deal killer? Since we didn't have a ton of time to do this, I wanted to just cut to the case. And I wanted to say that the real deal killer in a successful negotiation, other than not um, preparing, is that we get reactive when we're face-to-face -face at the table or when we're in a Zoom meeting or when we're on the phone. So the real deal killer is reactivity. And the bad news is you can't control the reactivity of the other side. Give it up, it's not gonna happen. So what makes human beings be reactive? So this is one way that you can mitigate their reactivity. Here's the core sources of human reactivity and conflict. Number one, not being heard. Number two, not feeling a part of. Think how many times you have been upset in this life because you felt othered or you didn't feel like you were allowed to belong or you were empowered to belong. Number three, not being able to make one's own decisions and own choices. If we feel forced into a so-called choice, we do not like that. And then the last one really encompasses all of those, but it's got some other things in it too. Not being respected, not being treated fairly. So to the degree that we can honestly and authentically hear people, include people, include them in decision-making and choices, and always, always, always respect them and treat them as fairly as possible. And I know that we can't always be fair. I know that, I'm a grown-up. But to the degree that we make an effort to do that, to the degree that we don't give up until we've done our best, we will incite less reactivity on the part of the other person, which means that we also will experience less reactivity. So how do we do that? One way that we do that, all of those things on the last slide, is we listen. People say, well, I don't have time to do all of that communication stuff, and I want to say you're going to spend the time in good communication, or you're going to go back and fix the relationship later. So it's an hour later kind of deal. Listen to understand, then speak to, under, uh, speak to be understood. In other words, ask questions first, listen, clarify. That takes care of the stuff on this side, not all of it, but it's a contribution towards it. And then listen two thirds of the time. So that two thirds number is an old piece of uh, data that was generated by Xerox when they looked at their most successful salespeople. And they said, what is the thing they have in common? They videotaped those people, they analyzed their communication style, and what they saw was the top sellers listened two thirds of the time. So how do you know if you're listening? Another way, and this is something we study here a lot at the monastery, is when you talk, you listen to yourself. So the next time you negotiate and the next time you talk to a client or a family member or a friend or even yourself, listen to yourself talking. 
hear the tone of your voice, hear your delivery, hear your space, hear your silence or lack of it. Do you sound like you're railroading? Even if you don't have the intention to railroad or the intention to deceive, if you sound like that, you'll be perceived as doing those things. It's kind of funny if you don't listen to people, and this is maybe equally important in business and family things, if you don't authentically listen, human beings have some kind of little switch that goes on and it just goes beep, beep, beep in their brain that you're not listening and they will keep repeating themselves until they feel heard. So don't, uh, don't neglect to listen carefully. And one of the ways that you do that is when other people are speaking, this one is really hard, this is a very advanced skill, do not plan your response. So I'm pretty sure you've heard that before, but I want to teach it to you again because it's an awesomely advanced skill. And just watch, in, in the, today at the end of the meeting when you're talking to each other, somebody's talking, look and see, are you making a response or are you just listening? Sometimes when I work with students on this, they say, or clients on this, they say, well, if I don't plan my response, how will I know what to say? I'll, I'll, there'll be a pause there. And I'm going to tell you, try it. You try it. And then you email me. And even though I'll be retired by the time you email me, I will answer your email. I promise you don't plan your response when someone is talking to you and see if you are not just able to respond just like when you planned your response and better. When people in negotiation talk about their own experience, you must not, must not tell them that what they're saying is not true. It doesn't mean that it's true for you, but if you say to somebody what you're saying is not true, that sounds crazy and they, they won't like it. Nobody likes to hear that their experience is not true. So don't correct it. You cannot know, this is one of the truths of life, you cannot know another person's experience. So if you want to know it, ask questions. In business, I would like to say, if you think you understand something about your client, especially if they're reactive, if you think you know what's going on, to the degree that you're certain, you must ask questions. You must ask questions because certainty is one of the ways that we undermine our own performance in negotiation. So if you are talking in a negotiation and you run into a difficult time, so I have three more communication tips for you relative to negotiation. One is that if you're talking about a problem that you're having with a client, talk about the impact that the problem has on you. Human beings are very sensitive to impact statements. So don't talk about the problem on and on and on but tell how it impacts you, how it impacts you as an individual, how it impacts your business, how it impacts your team, that sort of thing. So my second thing now, I'm moving away from reactivity and I'm saying just in negotiation in general, speak with purpose, be authentic, tell the truth, but it's not always wise to give away everything that you know. You're gonna to have to feel that out case by case. This is even true in families, huh? <laughs> especially when you're talking to your kids. And then I just one tip on salary negotiation. I know we don't get to negotiate our salary too much, but maybe if uh, during COVID, I thought maybe this tip is relevant. 
So never say the salary that you want until you hear the other side say they want you. That's the time to negotiate a salary. So I'm going to make a cast a vote here. And of course, as a priest, I have to cast this vote, but I casted this vote for 20 years before I was a priest. So speak with intention and integrity. Stay focused on what matters. You can fritter away the power and the energy of your negotiating ability by talking about all of this stuff on the side that's interesting, but it's not primary. So when you're planning, make yourself a bulleted list. What matters now? And if you find yourself wandering in a conversation, just pause for a moment and ask yourself the question, what's important right now? What's important right here? What matters between us right now? So maybe you're angry even in the negotiation. That's not what matters. Feels like what matters because that's the thing that's energized and uh, it's up, you know, it's in front, but it's not what matters. What matters is that you negotiate the best possible deal between you and the client. Be sure you're speaking only about your own experience. Try to ask better questions. So that's its own whole workshop. And I hope that you have one. And uh, I'd love to teach one for you, but, but probably I won't do that. So ask better questions. Seek to understand before you offer opinions or advice. So as contract training educators, we are also consultants, right? And so often we need to give advice, but be sure you understand the thing fully before you give advice. And then my last little piece is use silence more often. Practice silence. Speaking, you can have so much silence, 10 seconds, 20 seconds. It'll seem like forever, but really it's not. And so often when we're negotiating, we're negotiating with people and they're thinking they need a minute to try it on. They need a minute to visualize whether or not what you're saying is something they want to do, especially if we're talking about a big training program, 10,000, 20,000, 100,000, 300,000. They need the space to consider it. And when they stop talking, we get nervous. We start talking again. Their brain goes into overflow. And when people are overflowing with information, they can't listen and they stop listening. All right, last slide. So this one, we're doing great time-wise. This is my advice in general, and this is a soft skills advice. So I hope that you pick one thing out of this presentation, that maybe there's one thing in here or two things that are new for you that can help you be a better negotiator. You don't need to do all of these things. My own personal motto is one, good thing at a time. But what's really important in negotiation is that when that deal is over, life goes on. If you win, it goes on. If you lose, life goes on. The person that you're negotiating with is a human being like you. They want to be happy. They want to be safe. They want to be successful, just like you. And so you may not ever see that person again, but you have to get up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror so this negotiation is one blip in the continuum of your life. Even if it's the biggest deal you will ever do, it's one blip in the continuum of your career. So win what you can. I think honest winning is fun and it's good and it often benefits more than just you. So win what you can, but not at the cost of what matters in the long run. Never give away your values, your principles, your ethics, your morality. Never give away your personhood, your respect and your dignity for other, other human beings. 
always try, one of the signs of a good negotiation is that you improved the relationship while you were with the other person or people. So try to improve it if you can. And at the very least, try not to damage that. Now, part of that has to do with reputation and part of it has to do with what you can get in the future. But the other part of it is that when we hurt people in a relationship, we are the first victim of that activity. If we are angry, we are the first victim of our own anger. So always keep that in mind. So deals come and go, you have to live with yourself. That was the best I could do in an hour of uh, some tips for negotiation. I figure we spent one hour. So if you can pick one of those tips and work on it, I think that's a pretty good use of our time together. I put my personal email there, lakeshay at gmail.com. And this slide set, you may have it, you may own it, you may take my picture off and put your picture on. Uh, anything else that I did today, you can have all of those slides and use them all. I have that arrangement with Greg at Learn. And if you need uh, anything else from me, there's my email. There's the website for the nonprofit that I created and work for. Yeah. On that website, um, there are also some free slides and some free handouts for how to reach out to friends and family and community members and church members and club members, all the communities in your life, how to reach out and talk to them during this difficult time. Also, all of those slides are free. Take them, modify them, put your name on them, uh, and help people in the world, okay? <laughs> oh, Julia, I, I, I just can't tell you enough. There are goosebumps and wonderful, wonderful, inspiring words that you've shared with all of us today. I'm watching the chat. Uh, people are sharing how much they enjoyed your presentation in the chat right now. And I, I just hope you feel the love. I hope you feel how much you are to us as a California statewide group. Um, I'm going to get a little teary-eyed because I know that you're now retiring. This is official. I uh, know. 15 today. This minute. Yeah. But, but you have gifted us so much over the last couple of years, and I just want to say thank you very much for that. Oh, welcome, welcome very much. And I can't think of a better bridge to retirement than working with you guys. I hope that you've had a good meeting. And again, if there's any way that I can serve you or your communities somehow, um, if you've ever taken a class from me and you think I might still have the slides on my hard drive or whatever, please just um, ask and, and I'll help in any way that I can. All right, I wish okay. you well. And as we say here at the monastery, may your life go well. Oh, thank you so very much and just mwah. Hugs and hugs virtually and kisses. Yeah, bye. Yeah. And just everything that you're doing for your community, thank you very much. And I wish you all the support and strength you need to carry out that wonderful work that you're doing there. Thank oh. you. Yeah, same to you. Same to you all. We're we are in this together for sure, for sure. Okay, bye. see you guys soon. All right. Bye. Bye bye.